Okay. Well, it really is great to have all of you here this morning. We're very happy to have our guests uh, from Teen Challenge. We're going to be hearing from them in just a few moments what God has done in their lives. But every year, this is the second Sunday of the two Sundays per year we set aside to sort of step back and just take a look at our overall mission uh, globally as well as locally. And so I want to I start by saying thank you this morning. We've already expressed thanks to the Lord, but I want to say thank you to the church family today because what we're going to witness here in a few moments is just living testimony and result of your giving. Every week we emphasize, in addition to our regular giving, that we give sacrificially to the 34 missionary partners that we are teamed up with as a church throughout the world, and one of those is Teen Challenge right in Chicago. And so their being present here this morning, and what you're going to hear from them this morning, is only possible because you are faithfully giving week by week or whatever your faithfulness, consistency cycle and giving might happen to be. That's why this is happening this morning. So God bless you for your giving. That's the way it works at Calvary Church. Uh, Jesus, you know, called us to a mission that begins at our own front door. He said in Jerusalem, and then it goes from Jerusalem into ever-expanding circles, Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the nations of the world. And what a joy it is we have to give uh, to the mission of Jesus Christ and enjoy the results of that. So uh, we'll say a little bit more about that as we come to the close of the service this morning. But be praying as we go through the service and as you listen to the testimonies that you're going to hear, the results of, of our giving. What is God putting on my heart in terms of faithful, consistent, week-by-week giving so that God's work can continue to, get, to, continue to be done? Uh, we're grateful then to have Brian Wood with us here this morning. And I've known Pastor Brian for many, many years, and uh, he has just only since past October taken the leadership of the Chicago Teen Challenge. And uh, I believe that uh, God has put a great leader uh, in Teen Challenge. So I'm going to invite Brian to come at this time. Let's welcome him as he does. Good morning. It is a joy for us to be here today with you. And um, uh, I've, uh, I've been a pastor for 30 years. And uh, I've always been grounded in a local church. That's where my life is lived, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Friday. And then last October, God kind of uh, rattled my cage, and uh, I began uh, a new chapter as the executive director of the Teen Challenge Center in Chicago. And uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. I... Um, uh, and so I have to confess to you, in a couple of moments, I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, bringing uh, God's word. And this will be the first time that I've preached in a church since October. Now, my, I was worried about that. And my wife is like, you've been doing it for 30 years. You'll be fine. I'm like, I'm really nervous about this. And she says, it's, it's just like riding a bike. 
And I forgot my bike helmet today because I think I really need to wear that. Maybe some elbow pads and all of that. But hopefully we make it through okay. Um, This is uh, for my wife and I, my wife Kimberly and myself, the first time that we have had a service with, uh, on behalf of Teen Challenge. I've been in uh, Pastor Jim's seat many times as Teen Challenge would come into the church and always uh, was an admirer from afar. But today I have the opportunity to let you know of what I believe is just a fantastic miracle that God is in the process of doing. And uh, it involves Teen Challenge because what I've discovered is that God is really, really, really in favor of people changing their lives. He's really all about seeing people move from death to life, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. And uh, it is is amazing to watch. Every day, I get the opportunity, and I feel like I'm walking through like God's Hall of Fame or his big trophy case, where he just on display is the work that God is doing. And I'm delighted to tell you about it. Um, Teen Challenge, for those of you who do not know, and, and let me just say that it's, it's a, so appropriate, uh, Pastor, that this would be the first church uh, that, that we're in uh, following this leadership change. Because not only uh, is your pastor a longtime uh, personal friend, prior to coming on to uh, Teen Challenge, I was the executive pastor at Northwest Assembly in Mount Prospect and launched a campus in Palatine, I literally sat in his office uh, where he was 17 years ago. And let me tell you, uh, people there still speak so fondly of uh, your pastor uh, and his wife. Um, But uh, uh, to be here not only with a friend, but with a congregation that is such a great friend of Teen Challenge. I can't say thank you enough. Your generosity um, is changing lives. And you're going to hear about that today. Uh, we are a, uh, um, a long-term residential faith-based uh, addiction treatment uh, program. Uh, our, our, we are a men's center, men 18 and up. Um, and the men live in our building, and it's a 13-month program. Um, and it's... It's, um, there's, you know, it's appropriate that challenge is in the name because it definitely is a challenging, challenging program. But God is doing great work. Uh, we believe that God wants to heal everybody that is locked into addiction. And we believe that God not only wants to heal their spirit, that is most important that, that God would bring um, peace, be, that they would find peace between them and God, that they would start a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we believe that God wants to heal them not only spiritually, but physically, emotionally, relationally. We believe that God is in the process, and we see it all the time, where he is restoring what, has, what sin has stripped away from the lives uh, of the people in our program. And it is amazing to watch. Um, I'm going to say a lot of words this morning, but the best words that you are going to hear today uh, are going to come from the mouth of one of our students. I'm going to invite John uh, to come. John is, is a student who's been around about, what, seven, eight months or so. He is uh, slated to, to graduate in, uh, I believe, November. And uh, John is a great man that God is doing great things in his life. And can we welcome John to the platform this morning?
All right, so you're gonna have to bear with me. This is my first time doing it publicly. Um, <laughs> all right, um, my name is John Caleb Lear. Uh, I was born in Carbondale, Illinois, about six and a half hours south of here. Um, my <laughs> I'm gonna need it, I'm gonna need it. Um, so my mother was a God-fearing woman. Um, my father was a heavy drinker. Uh, he smoked marijuana on a daily basis. Um, from a young age, I was told that God exists. I was told that Jesus died for my sins, and uh, I never believed it or put any thought into it. Um, I kind of was pushed away whenever I was uh, about nine years old. I was sexually abused by a babysitter, and uh, from then on, I would always question why would God let this happen? If God exists, why would he, why would he let this happen in my life and not rescue me from it? Um, what I didn't know was that that was the beginning of God allowing the devil to test me and to strengthen me in order to do what his will was for my life. Um, from then, about 12, I began smoking weed, uh, drinking about every weekend with my friends, um, from there, graduated to pills. Uh, around 16, I began uh, smoking methamphetamines and cooking methamphetamines and doing heroin. Um, my life just became became a downward spiral of something that I could not control. Um, I was missing something in my life, and I needed I needed love. I needed compassion. I needed to know that someone cared for me. Um, about Whenever I was 19, I, my life had spun out of control so much that I began making, it's hard to believe, but worse choices than I was already making. Um, I got uh, reckless and careless, and I ended up get, um, being charged with meth manufacturing, um, multiple possession charges. Uh, I was placed on six-month probation, or six-year probation, and from there, during probation, I continued to catch charges, and you know, go to jail, get out of jail, get more charges. Um, and then whenever I was, well, September 2000, or September 2016, um, I ended up overdosing, and I was taken to Carbondale Memorial Hospital where I was released to the care of my parents. And by the grace of God, I, I had a very bad heroin habit. So I would withdraw on a daily basis. Well, whenever I came out of the hospital, somehow my heroin habit hadn't lessened, but by the grace of God, my withdrawal symptoms were, I didn't have any withdrawal symptoms. Um, I couldn't understand it at the time. I knew that something was happening in my life, and I couldn't figure it out. Well, I made another bad decision, and I ended up uh, going out drinking one night, and I... Uh, obtained five battery charges and was thrown into jail and awaiting to be sentenced, which with all the charges that I had racked up, it could have been seven to 15 years in prison. Um, the lawyer that I hired, which this is where I believe God intervened, was a Christian man. He was, he was by the Assemblies of God, um, and he mentioned Teen Challenge to me. I didn't know what it was. 
I was like, Teen Challenge, I'm 24 years old. I'm really going to go there with a, a bunch of 16 and, you know, 15, 16-year-olds. Well, I was like, well, I'll think about it. So I, I'm in jail, and I'm thinking about it, and I go to court, and nothing's looking good. So I figured, well, if it's mentioned to me, then well, then I should probably try it. So, well, I get here, and uh, I walk in the door, and the first person I meet is Bobby Hunter. And the guys know that he is, he's on fire for the Lord, that's for sure, but he can be intimidating, especially whenever on your way there, you're like, man, I don't even know anything about Jesus, I don't know anything about God, the Bible, what am I going to do? So I get here, and uh, Philip, Philip, this uh, evangelist that comes in and preaches to us on Thursday nights, he always does an altar call to accept Jesus in your life, well... I didn't go up, but from that day forward, every single night and every single day, I would uh, I accept Jesus in my life. And it, I had been through three psych wards, about seven other rehab centers, and nothing had worked. And the love and the love and compassion and the support that I was missing was from God that I was missing it because I wouldn't accept it, and from my brothers in the house. Um, I couldn't I couldn't do any of this without God. Um, it took a long time for me to accept that a a long time Um, I've been in the program six months now and it's the best thing that I've ever done in my life Um, I just want to encourage that if anyone is out here and they need help that this is the place to get it um, I wouldn't, as being an ex-drug dealer, I wouldn't vouch for something that wouldn't do the job. So this is, this is where it's at. Um, this is really where it's at. God is moving through this place every single day. Um, not only that, but once you get farther in the program, you start seeing new guys come in, and, and it reminds you of where you were at whenever you came in and how hopeless and and lost and horrible it was, but it doesn't have to be horrible anymore. Um, the life verse that I'm going to leave you with, it's the verse that hits me the hardest, is uh, Job 14:7. At least there is hope for a tree, that if it is cut down again, that it will sprout, and its new shoots will never cease. Thank you. So what do you do at your job? That's what I get to do at mine. That's what I get to do at mine. Um, Two years ago, um, for a number of reasons, uh, the Teen Challenge Illinois program uh, was in a very difficult position. Um, It was a million dollars in debt. And... uh, it was a change uh, in leadership, and, and uh, my boss, my friend Paul Heinzman, uh, became the, the state director and began to see God do a miracle in, uh, in a year. 
that debt was erased. And uh, just new plans for the future continued to move forward. In, um, in Teen Challenge Illinois, we have two centers. Both are men's centers. And so if you, uh, if you are uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol or have some other life-controlling issue, we are there for you as long as you're a male, 18 and over. And uh, we look forward to, to changing that. We believe in the, uh, within the next year uh, a women's center will be established, and we look forward to seeing uh, that happen. We are actively looking. Amen. Amen. We are actively looking for, uh, for property uh, now, for a facility for that, and look forward to that happening. In Chicago, uh, Chicago historically has been what is referred to as an induction center. So, so men would come to us, we would minister to them for four months, and then we'd send them off on a bus to either Cape Girardeau, Missouri, or Rearsburg, Pennsylvania, and they would get to have all the fun as the guys would spend the next 10 months there. And uh, beginning in January, we became a full program center. We have a 13-month program. We've added a very robust but a fantastic, fantastic uh, Bible-based addiction recovery curriculum. Uh, we're moving forward with, with our plans to, to uh, launch some, some businesses, to teach business skills, to teach computer skills, to uh, provide uh, opportunities to get a GED or to, to launch into a college education or continue a college education, a number of things that are happening. And we're able to do that uh, for two reasons. One, because we serve just an incredibly big, gracious God. And two, he is helping us to partner with amazing, gracious people who love God and love the world, love people that are lost and locked in addiction and give of the resources to help us help them. And you guys are at the front of that, and I just want to say thank you with all my heart uh, for what you have done and what you continue to do. We, um, we have just an incredibly um, gracious, uh, dynamic uh, house full of men. And it's wonderful to watch them um, minister to each other as well as recover themselves. Thank you again. Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I uh, want to talk to you for um, a few minutes this morning and uh, part of it is about addiction. I believe that in Ephesians chapter 4, we see just an incredible description of what the addict's life is like. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 17. Ephesians four seventeen, And there we read this. Apostle Paul writes, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, makes it seem like this is important to him, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. 
like that. He throws that in at the end, like, and not only that, they're full of greed, too, right? That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their own hands, and that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let, let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, and get rid of all bitter and rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to encounter your word. Thank you for your amazing love, your grace, which reaches to all of us when we're in our mess and lifts us up and gives us new hope and new life. May your word uh, speak deeply to our spirits this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Ephesians chapter four, that second half, I believe uh, lays out very clearly for us uh, a, a tremendous description of what addiction is like. Paul says, and he, he refers to Gentiles in this way, but he says that, that they're, they're futile in their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, they're separated from the life of God. They're ignorant. Their hearts are hard. They've lost sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality. They indulge in every kind of impurity. And oh yeah, they're greedy too. That's what he says about that. And, and that, I believe, is a great description of the, of the addict's life. Addiction is something that hits everyone. This morning, uh, I'm going to ask a question. And um, listen to the whole question. If you are addicted to drugs or alcohol or some other life-controlling problem, or if you are in close relationship with someone who is in, who's addicted to drugs or alcohol or some other, some other life-controlling issue, why don't you just nod your head and say, yeah. Hits everybody. It hits everybody. There's, um, you know, that pop culture thing that's been around for a long time, that six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? That, that like, you can name any actor or actress, and if you just trace it like six steps, you find somebody who is in a movie with Kevin Bacon. And it's sort of like that with addiction, except you only need one step. Because it's like everybody is addicted or everybody is in close relationship through their family or their friend network or those that they work with. 
who has a life-controlling issue. How many of you know when you drive a car, you should buckle your seatbelt? You know that? Raise your hand. Yeah. You should not text while you drive. You know that? Right? You probably shouldn't drug, uh, juggle your uh, you know, caramel frappuccino and the donut and steer with your, with your knee. Right? You shouldn't do that either. How many of you know that if you live in Cook County, you're twice as likely to die from a heroin overdose as you are from an auto accident? The heroin ec- epidemic is absolutely out of control. Pills, opioids are prevalent in our schools, and, and uh, it's amazing. Alcohol, addiction to alcohol has incredible effects on your body. And I believe Paul describes for us what it's, what it's like uh, to be an addict. Because we often think of addicts that, that uh, you know, why don't you just make better choices? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about your mother? Don't you care about your wife or your kids? Or don't you care about this? Don't you care what you're doing? Just stop doing what you're doing. But Paul describes this great progression, how, how some people are darkened in their understanding. There's a hardening of their heart. Uh, there's, they're losing sensitivity. He says they're being given over. They're indulging. In our, in our house right now, we have uh, 23, 23 men. And there's 23 stories. There's 23 backgrounds. They come from 23 different places. The one thing they all have in common is this. None of them ever thought, if I try really hard when I grow up, I can spend 13 months in Teen Challenge. We, we are nobody's goal that they would come to us, right? Nobody sets out to become an addict. But what happens? What happens? It's progressive. It starts with an experiment. It becomes an activity It devolves into a habit, and soon it has a hold of you. And where does it start? Well, we're in the church, so we know where it starts. It starts with sin, and yes, that is the answer. It begins with sin. But when you talk to our guys, when you talk to your friends and neighbors and family members that are trapped in addiction you find it usually starts at a point of pain. It usually starts at a point of trauma in life. One of the wonderful things that our guys learn is not that um, um, they are an addict because of this bad thing that happened. We don't blame that bad thing that happened. There was a choice involved at some place. But behind that choice kind of tilting the field against them. Oftentimes you find some kind of trauma, some kind of pain, some kind of lack, some unmet need. You see where that, that becomes something that, that maybe began to be medicated. Oftentimes our addictions, those behaviors start out publicly. It's what we do with our friends. 
But as, as it spirals down, it becomes more and more and more private. It's exploding in our country. It's exploding. Our center is located not a really great distance from, from a place referred to as Heroin Highway. When you turn on the news and you hear someone's been shot, there's probably about a 50-50 chance it happened in that area right there. It's a place that's not only, it's not just a city problem because there, just off 290, many people come in from the suburbs and they come there to buy what they think they really need in their life. Our medical community is finally awakening to the fact of how they've been contributing to this issue with, with opioid prescriptions and, and uh, you know, there's 60-something opioid prescriptions written in Illinois for every 100 people. My wife recently had some uh, dental work done, and she walks out of the dentist's office with a prescription for an opioid. Uh, last weekend, I... Uh, uh, had the pleasure of having my first ever uh, bout with bronchitis, and I was given the opportunity to have an opioid prescribed to me to deal with my cough. It happens all the time, and, and, and the number one place that, that our kids and our teens grab uh, opioid pills is from their parents, from family members. If you have prescriptions that you've used at one point, they're just kind of there in the medicine cabinet just in case you start feeling bad again. Get rid of those. Don't worry. They're still making them. You can go to the doctor and get another prescription if you need to. But those things laying around is where so many people start their journey. Um, But it's deceptive, it's progressive. For me, one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, several years ago, was when I joined my dad and we escorted my baby sister off to treatment as a teenager. She didn't want to go. She went, went through the 30 days, came out, was doing okay, then wasn't. God really changed her life really got a hold of her life. She got married. She was living for God. You could find her most Sundays, not only at church, but standing and singing on the worship team. And at one point in her life, she decided, you know, I'm kind of bored on a Friday night. There's a bar that has karaoke. I like to sing. Let's go sing. And that's all she did. She'd go there and she'd drink water and she'd drink pop or something else. She stopped drinking water and pop. She started drinking again. And within a matter of months, she had left her husband, her three children, and began that downward spiral of alcohol. This was several years ago, and she's still struggling, still battling it. It affects all of us. She didn't start out saying, I know what. I could go sing karaoke and then I could leave my husband and my kids and, and I could 
battle the guilt of that for the rest of my life and I could, no, it's progressive. And ultimately, yes, it's a sin issue, but ultimately it's a mental issue. It's a, it's a thinking issue. It's one of the things in our program we help our guys discover is the basis for that thinking that has got them to where, to the point of where they're at and how they can begin, as Paul says, that process of renewing their minds so that their thinking changes. And when their thinking changes, their behavior changes. And their needs and their urges and their desires begin to change as well. Paul paints a great picture of addiction there. He says, these are what the Gentiles are like. Nobody chose to be darkened in their understanding. We don't, they don't know what they don't know. But this is what they're like, and this is where it leads. And he draws that distinction. He says, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. Again, another thinking word. The way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to be put and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We think addiction is a heart problem, but it's mostly a thinking problem. He says, but you've learned a new way. You've learned the truth. And he gives a two-step process for recovery. He says to put off the old, but to put on the new. It's not enough simply to put off the old. Someone, uh, Ryan Johnson, a pastor from, from the Chicagoland area, was in and preaching in chapel a few weeks ago. And he made a comment that has just resonated with me since. He says, it's not enough to simply fast from your sin. It's, you know, it's easy to take a person who is on drugs and not have them take drugs anymore. You put them in a room, you close the door, you don't let drugs in, right? How hard is that? That's very easy, but what happens when you walk out of the room if your thinking hasn't changed? It's not enough to simply put off the old habits you must put off the old mindset as well. You must look at things differently. You must learn different truths. But then you've got to put on what is new. Putting off the old, you know, with, with faulty thinking, it's sort of like, how many of you, you've had a computer virus before? Yeah, I used to get those too, uh, and then I found a, an answer for that. I, I started buying Apple products, and then, it, then it's no problem. But, um, um, you know, I, like all of a sudden my backpacking list, parts of my backpacking checklist is being mailed to people in my address book, right? Because why? I have a virus on my computer, and, and there it starts doing funny things. And you can yell at the computer all you want. I can ask the computer, don't you care about me and your mother? <laughs> your motherboard or whatever mother is of a, of a computer. But, but it doesn't change anything until you go in and solve the wrong thinking that the computer's going through. Change the thinking, change the outcome. 
Identify the problem thinking. Rebuild with a new belief. And to put on righteousness and holiness. And I love that phrase that Paul uses there. Created to be like God. Because to your friends and your family members who are locked in addiction, let me tell you one thing about them. They were not created to be like this. This is not God's plan for their life. This is not what they were born for. This is not what God intends for them to live like. Every addict has a purpose. There's a purpose for their life. They may not know it. They may have lost sight of that. They may have forgotten what that purpose is, but there is a purpose. As long as there's a pulse, there's a purpose. And God wants to live that purpose out in their life. Giving your life to Jesus is a start. But how many of you have discovered that committing your life to Christ does not in and of itself change your way of thinking? That's the beginning. That's the launch pad. It doesn't change anything else. And the, our systems of thinking, the way that we perceive core beliefs that we're not even, we're not even aware of them. As a matter of fact, if, if we're confronted with them, we'll say, no, nah, it's not what I believe. But deep down, it's what we believe. Why? Because that's how we act. You can't act in a way that is contrary to those deeply held beliefs. Committing your life to Christ is a great start. But until you start changing your thinking, you can't change your behavior. Paul says, put off the old, put on the new. And then verse 25, he says, therefore, and I always love the word therefore in the Bible because it means like, look back, see what the word therefore, right, is therefore, right? And he says, each of you, I love how Paul starts this, he says, he says the Gentiles, them. And isn't that um, often the non-addict's response to addiction. It's a problem with them. It's them. It's them. And Paul says them, the Gentiles, they're like this, darkened in their understanding. They're futile and they're the greedy and they're all of this, right? There's, there's all of this stuff. And he says, therefore, each of you, so he shifts now. He says, each of you must put off falsehood. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All this time, Paul wasn't talking just about them. He was saying, that's how people locked in a different way, lived their life. But, but you weren't taught that. You learned differently. And now you need to behave differently because of what you learned. So each of you must put off falsehood. He said you must speak truthfully. You, that we're, we're all one. We're all members of one body. He says, don't be angry. He says, stop stealing. He says, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then he gives this whole list of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, every kind of malice. Therefore, you must behave differently. This is how we were. We were taught. We responded to Christ. And now Paul says, this behavior... Where does it come from? He says you need to put it off. 
You need to put off the falsehood and the anger and the theft and the unwholesome talk, the bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, malice, and you need to put on truthfulness. You need to put on a, a good work ethic. You need to put on a spirit of generosity, sharing with those in need. You need to put on that habit of encouraging other people around you, putting on kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Because it's not just the addict living on the streets that's darkened in their understanding. We get that way too. For years we've just been living. We've just been, that's how we talk in our family. Well, that's just what I do. Well, I don't have an anger problem. I don't mean it. When I cool down, I'll say I'm sorry. We're darkened in our understanding. It's easy to, to continue to slide toward a small-minded selfishness, a self-centeredness, being angry with our words, being cutting in our remarks, being selfish with how we live our life. And Paul says, no. No, as one who's changed, who's no longer like the Gentiles in this way. We've learned a different way. Now we must live a different way. But isn't it the problem? It, it's, it's hard to demand living without the learning. Uh, until we've really come before God and really understand the root of where addiction comes from. Whether your addiction is drugs or alcohol or anger, selfishness, living that self-centered way until we've, we've really come before God and figure out where does that come from and commit ourselves to right thinking, to living out the truth that Jesus lived for us and taught to us. Real change doesn't happen. It's putting off the old. It's putting on the new. Now, it's easy to walk out of church sometime and go, okay, I'm going to be less angry. What does that mean? How do you be less angry? And so you just try to smile as you say angry words, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. How do you, how do, you do that? That comes from an encounter with God. That comes from a deep look within. That comes from surrounding yourselves with people who can speak into your life. Pastors, small groups, friends, encouragers. And sometimes when the hold is so strong, when the roots are so deep, means you come to a place like Teen Challenge. And you have 13 months to focus on you, to focus on changing your life. Now, the fact is, we can't take you all, sorry. <laughs> a, you're not all males, 18 and over. And we only have 50 beds. So but that's, that's not required maybe for your issue. Stepping out of life for a year. 
to discover the real life that can propel you through for the rest of your lives. But it doesn't mean your, prob your problem is not as difficult and as deep to confront. Paul said, this is how we used to be. But we met Jesus and we learned a different way. And when that learning reaches the roots of what we really believe, it shows in our behavior. So put off, put off the old, repent of it, call it what it is. It's sin, but don't even just leave it at sin, name it, and find the ugliest name you can find. It's not, God, I struggle with my temper, God, I'm an angry person. It's not that I could probably share with others more, it's that, God, I'm greedy, I'm only out for me. I don't care deeply about other people. Call it what it really is. Repent, identify it, and then put on. Actively, progressively pursue the truth and living out the truth, and you find freedom. You have, uh, you as a church, have been amazingly generous to Teen Challenge. You're at the front of the line when we say, why do we exist? It's, a, it's partners, it's people who believe, and you're at the front of the line. And we say thank you for that. Thank you for helping God's grace penetrate the hearts of my friends. And now I ask, that you allow God's grace to penetrate your heart, that you be generous with yourself because God has called you to great things and whatever in that list kind of makes you go, Ugh. God doesn't want you to be locked in by that. He wants to set you free. He wants you to live the life, the great abundant life that he has for you. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that, that you, God, are you're gracious, you're loving, and you have a plan. And God, whatever part of our old thinking we've held on to, we lay it aside now, and we ask you to fill our hearts with your grace, your goodness, your love, fill our minds with your truth. Let it penetrate to the deepest part of who we are so that we can live our life for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thanks, Brian.